Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Hello all, it's been a while. This episode is a conversation with Tom LaBelt. Tom is or has been a salesman, musician, DJ, coffee shop owner, publisher, and most recently, digital nomad. Thank you to Tom for a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. As you probably noticed, our title for Tom is The Reluctant Adventurer. For Tom, adventure is a reaction to boredom, not the primary motivation. It seems clear that Tom's parents and his wealth of experiences as a child played a role in shaping him. Uh, I loved hearing about the VCR smuggling, the blueberry hustles. I love the way he dealt with so nonchalantly with the move from Poland to the US, gunshots in the hallway, rarely seeing his parents and customer service punch-ups at school. I get it. It was simply the way things were. For me, the inspiring bit is when Tom starts to get dissatisfied with his trajectory when he starts to make his own path. I wish I'd been smart enough to hack the school software system and pass my exams in two months rather than the usual four years. It would have saved me and my teachers a lot of pain. I see Tom's unwillingness to go with the flow as taking personal responsibility for his own life. Tom's realisation that he was trying to live uh, other people's lives, other people's stories, and not his own, seems to be such an important one. There are so many of us who simply go with the flow and end up being a part of somebody else's story, always feeling that something's not quite right with our own. It's interesting to hear Tom talk about his uh, unwillingness to be part of the crowd, to be unique, or as he describes, finding the third door. I mean, no doubt it's what's delivered his entrepreneurial success, and I think the way he compares himself today with himself yesterday is infinitely better than comparing... Uh, yourself to somebody else. As Oscar Wilde says, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Tom's life now seems quite different from his life a few years ago. It sounded like uh, he is starting to reap the dividends of all that investment in learning, in failure, in different jobs, in meeting different people from different cultures and different industries. It sounds like he's taken the best of what he's learned and experienced and transformed it into a series of healthy habits and routines that with discipline, deliver the consistent results he's looking for. In our terms, his early years were spent voraciously exploring the unknown, albeit reluctantly. Now he seems to have found more of a balance between the known and the unknown. Uh, I can see Tom will always be curious to some extent or another, but it's so interesting to hear him describe the way he stops himself from getting distracted. For people like Tom, who feel comfortable in the unknown, This is a massive challenge. New ideas can often feel so much more interesting than maintaining old ones. It all seems to come together in his bus metaphor. Serial entrepreneurs, he says, get on a bus and stay on for a few stops before switching to a bus where people look richer and happier. This process continues when you're a hustler. You never stay on any bus for very long. You never stick at anything. You never go deep into anything. Tom's trick has been to notice the dissatisfaction, explore alternative paths, pick the one that works for him, and repeat until he feels that twinge of dissatisfaction again. As Tom and Jocko Willink say, routines free you. To some people, it might sound like Tom's wrestling with, on one hand, the value of routines versus, on the other, the value of adventure, but it's not like that. 
routines and adventure work together as interdependent pairs, like inhaling and exhaling. There's not much point in mastering and in inhaling without giving equal attention to exhaling. The way we think about these things, Neil and I, that is, is balance. With balance in mind, I hope Tom works out how to feel a contentment from what he's already achieved and balance it with this desire to move forward. I'm sure he will. I'm sure his small group of family and friends will help him along the way. Thanks again, Tom, for all the insights. We bring you Tom LeBelt, The Reluctant Adventurer. So, Tom, uh, lovely to be talking to you. Uh, this is this is a, b- a big thing for us because this is the first podcast that we've done remotely. So um, just before we really get into it, Ray and I, uh, we might be telling ourselves a story, recognize that, but we, we um, have very deliberately spent time with all of our guests in person. Um, and we felt as though that is a way of being able to really get into uh, the vulnerability with people, you know, get, get real comfort with people. COVID, um, like so many things has, has forced us to, to have a really good look at, at some of our biases and maybe that's one of them, but that's led us to you, which is great. Um, and you are the other side of the world, I believe. So where, where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Thailand at the moment. Um, and what, tell us what it's like over there. It's actually really good. Like we haven't had a case in over two months. Um, which means everything's open back up. Like we, we can do anything. I can go to the movies. I can go to the gym, get a haircut, grocery store. Some I need to wear a mask. Most not anymore because we oh, just no, don't have any great. cases. Yeah. So was there a formal lockdown and was, did, yeah. did it feel like the yeah, end yeah, of the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, we had about four weeks of, uh, like, I mean, lockdown, like some cities, when they found maybe 14 or 15 cases, they were barricaded pretty much. Like you couldn't drive in or out. Yeah, wow. And whereabouts in Thailand are you? I'm in Chiang Mai at the moment. Uh, ah. When it, Yeah, when this happened, I was in Krabi because we go to ah. Krabi like three months a year, um, sort of to escape the smoke, which happens in Chiang Mai when they burn the rice fields. Um, but also just because we want to be by the beach, right? So we yeah. go there, the lockdown happened. Um, and we got super lucky too, because even though they locked down, I was in such a small town with zero cases again, the beach was still open. You know, they closed the gym, but the beach was open. I was like, oh, okay. So we can still go get groceries and go by the beach. Huh, yeah, it could fine. be worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it could really, be worse. Really makes all the difference, doesn't it? It's. I think it's not until something like this that you recognize the importance of having space and access to nature and all those simple things in life. You know, the gym was the main thing. Like, you know, I, I took two dumbbells from the gym before they shut it down. Like, kind of, you know, just said, oh, let me borrow these. You're going to be shut down anyways. But I noticed... It's not just the weights. I mean, yeah, I could have used, you know, like a bench press, all that stuff, just to actually have proper things. But it's the people, too, the atmosphere. You know, seeing yeah. other people around you working out and doing <laughs> a similar thing, it helps. It's like in business, right? When people are alone and they <clears> think they're on this journey by themselves, they don't realize, like, we're all going through the same nonsense. Yeah, you so know? true. Uh, so t- Tom, we normally start with... Um, how how do you describe yourselves to people? So if you meet someone for the first time and they say, hey, you know, what do you do? What are you about? How do you tend to answer that question? <laughs> I usually laugh because I have no clue. 
<laughs> you know, I, I've thought about this. Like, I don't know. Like, if you take, you know, my personality and my work and my family away, like, if you leave me with who are you, I'm like, oh, no. I really don't know. Like, because we're all a combination of, like, you know, the stuff that we came up with, you know, like the external stuff and then the things we do, right? So we, we usually, you know, get around um, or on like different hobbies or things, right? Like, oh, you like that same movie. I like the same movie. You go to CrossFit. I go to CrossFit. I don't actually, but, you know, and many of these different things, like, you know, you run a business, I run a business. What kind? So if you take all of that away, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know what, what's, what's left. I'm like, so I've, <laughs> I've, I've thought about this a lot as well. Like we, we, we deliberately don't ask the question, what do you do? Because it's just too um, loaded a question. But I wonder, let's, let's try this. If, if I say to you, what journey are you on? So is that a more interesting question for you to answer? Sort of. Um, like I've kind of thought about this because I've, I've had a podcast recently and someone kind of nailed sort of what I am. And it's like, they said an adventurer, but I would say reluctant adventurer, right? Like a lot of these adventures happen just because I can't sit still. It's not because I want to have an adventure. Yeah, that's interesting. And when you say adventure, do you mean adventure in the most literal sense? Both, or? yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I've lived in over 14 countries. You know, that's already an adventure. Um, I've been in the music industry, put out albums. I had a, a documentary I filmed. I've had multiple businesses, careers, and it was all just happening. You know, when I look back on it, it's like, yeah, that definitely it's been an adventure, but so um, was there a, was there a period earlier on in your life where where things were a bit more by design so you had a, a clear ambition if i look back um the only real plan i had was i'm going to get into the music industry and then i'm going to run a business like that was something okay. i've had since i was very young okay do you, do you have any idea where that came from i don't I really don't like the, I think the business part maybe sort of happened because of my upbringing. You know, we were, I was born in Poland. There was a communist country back then. You couldn't really make money normally other than hustling. So my dad kind of did that and he brought me along on the ride a lot. You know, like when well, he was, well, what does hustling mean to you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what was happening and then you'll kind of see what I okay. mean. Right. So, what he was doing, and these were all short-term plays. This is why it's kind of a hustle. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Germany, smuggle in some liquor, come back with some BCRs, sell those. We have money for a month or two. I'm going to go to Sweden, pick blueberries, come back with money. We have money for a month or two, right? So this was the, the hustles that he was doing. And, you know, I was taken on quite a few of those, right? Like I watched them, you know, go to pick blueberries. I'm waiting in the car. They'd come back. I seen them sell it to, you know, the big factory. They used it for paint. We had some money, came back. You know, I got a couple of toys. To Germany, he would have me in the back seat. My job was to scream and cry when the customs officer was trying to check the seats to keep him distracted. <laughs> yeah. Then come back. He would take me to the soccer stadiums where you sold this stuff. And, you know, try to get me to, you know, put, get, sell at least the, the VHS tapes or something. And, and I've seen, you know, that, okay, you know, you can 
make money through a hustle. You have no boss, right? Like I've seen that early. Um, what kind of age do you remember being? This was between like seven to maybe six to nine years old. Okay, really, really formative years. Then. Very formative years, yeah. And I also learned a lot about customer service. Like I would sell VHS tapes at school, and if someone said it was broken, there was a fight after school. Like that's how we handled customer service back then. <laughs> so, so, so I knew don't sell stuff that doesn't work, even though if it's not your fault, just, just check it before. Um, but that was the hustle part. The music, I, I really have no idea where that came from. Was there music in your family? No, none of them can sing. And they both have horrible choices when it comes really? to listening to music. Yeah, I, I mean, I think my grandpa was a musician. Um, but I didn't actually find that out till recently. Um, but it was, it's weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know what took me in that direction but it was like such an obvious thing in my head like if you ask me it's like well of course i'm going to do some music stuff and then i'm going to do a business it's it's what 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 role did music play at a young age would would would, would music always be on did you used to was it an outlet for you you know maybe that was it you know a single child with parents always doing work or hustles and and yeah music playing nonstop. so like the musicians were more friends to me than my parents Right, because that, yeah. you know, you have one song on repeat for like seven days. You know, you connect with it. Um, I think that more happened when we came to the states. For them to survive, um, they both had three or four really, really crappy jobs that they were doing. So when I woke up, they were gone. When I went to sleep, they haven't came home yet. Wow. So I was, you know, I had a key. You know, came back from school. I was like eleven, twelve. Let myself in, warm up the food, take care of myself, go to sleep. So the whole week, I would just be home by myself, usually with did, music playing. Yeah. Did, did, did this, so presumably this is at age maybe 10 to 15 or something. Is that, is that fair? Pretty much, yeah. And, and did that feel normal to you? It did, because that's all I knew. And, and that's, what, that's what was familiar with your friends and with everybody around you? Well, so when we came to the States... Um, they were broke, right? So even though I was going to a certain school, we actually lived in the ghetto pretty far away from all my classmates, right? Mm. Like really crappy neighborhood. So after school, like I couldn't see any of my friends from school because they were too far. And going outside on my own was a little shaky. Like there would be gunshots in the hallway sometimes. So, you know, I was like, well, <laughs> it was mostly just me stuck inside, right? Mm. And then when I was about 13, 14, they actually bought a house. And, you know, I gained my freedom back. I was like uh, around friends again. Um, but for about Tom, three years, it was, it was very hard. Yeah. Tom, what age were you when you went to the States? 10. 10, okay. Yeah. So, so it was that 10 to 13. It took him about three years to <laughs> save up and actually be able to buy something. Um, and those three is where I was really stuck inside a lot. Yeah. And when you well, say stuck inside, did you, did you feel as though you were stuck or no. did it become normal? No, no, I was fine. Found- I was completely yeah, fine. Okay. Um, yeah. but when I think back on it now, I was, you know, sort of stuck inside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so do you think it's interesting? Cause you said earlier, you were a reluctant adventurer. 
Yeah, like I always thought adventures, you know, seemed really good in movies and books, you know. But like, for example, I'll, you know, I'd read a book about, you know, something happening in the Amazon. I've been in the jungles of Thailand. It's not an adventure I want to be a part of ever. You know, it gets boring and horrible very quickly. So a lot of these things that happen, it's like, well, I kind of took this route. And then it's like, well, do I continue or turn back? And I don't like turning back. So it always became an adventure. Um, but I was never one of these people like, oh, I want to go explore. You know, I was more like, oh, okay, let's see what happens. Or it's just something's pushing me in that direction. So I do it. Um, or usually I just couldn't stay still. Right. So it's like this boredom that like, you know, oh, let's do this crazy jump and then see what happens. I'm like, oh, man, I'm on an adventure again. So you're not you're not thinking about you're you're reacting against something you're reacting against boredom that's what makes you take the step and then you think well well I might as well just continue pretty much and and the one thing that I've kind of maybe had going for me is I do finish most of the stuff I start and okay. I think that that's where a lot of the successes kind of came from you know because like people will look on the resume which I don't think is that amazing but okay there's there's quite a bit on it. And, you know, when anytime they ask me, you know, why have you done so many things in such a short amount of time? I'll be like, uh, I think it's just because I finished what I start. Where did, did, where did that come from? So I'm just, I'm curious if we go, if we rewind a bit to, to your yeah. dad and talking about hustling, it sounds like the ultimate hustle for him to figure out how to get you as a family to the US. So what did that feel like at the time and how did that come about? So the actual dream was not really to come to the US. Right. His dream was to go to the West, make money and come back with okay. that money to, to Poland. Right. That was and everyone's was that, dream in Poland. Yeah. Oh, that's what I wanted to, wanted to understand. So that, so again, yeah. if you think about normal as a kid. Yeah. That so was this normal, was a dream. Was it? Yeah, yeah. This was our dream for everyone. Right. So we um, had passports waiting uh, for us to go to Germany. And at that same time, we got the invitation to come to the US. My parents applied 10 years before and it took 10 years to get that invitation. And it came at the same time as the passports to Germany. And for some reason they just picked the US, which for me was a great choice, but I don't think they think so that much. You know, it would have been much easier for them because the union opened up and it would have been close, you know, very close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but that was the dream. when, When they landed in the US, where in the US were you and what did that mean for, so I can imagine what hustle felt like and working three different jobs. How did they integrate? How did they find a way and it was to very get to a point where they man. could buy a house? It was very difficult. So when we came, uh, we stayed with my grandparents. Um, I really quickly realized that the grandparents were just pieces of, you know, and the second we got there, we realized we need to go. You know, they just were not good people at all. Um, so it was very hard for them. Right? You know, my parents couldn't even borrow a car from my grandparents to get the driver license. You know, they couldn't, they had no help at all. Um, when you say they couldn't borrow it because they weren't, they the, the grandparents, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Like the, the first thing when we moved in um, was like, okay, you got to start paying rent and take care of yourselves which was not, I guess, what they told them before. Mm-hmm. So it was very tough, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we got thrown into the basement, which was unfinished. Um, it was around Chicago, which is not a great place to be in the winter, you know, fall. Like, it's just not, not a good weather type place. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. You know, it took them, I think, nine months of just 
hustling, cleaning jobs and other, I don't know what they were doing, um, to buy a really cheap car, you know, and get us into an apartment, which I think was an amazing feat, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't something easy on them. So it was a lot of stress, a lot of worrying about money in the house, always, you know, like, oh, don't have money for this, for that. Um, How did it feel for you? You know, I didn't really think of it that much back then. Did it feel exciting? No, not not really exciting. Like I, I, I thought it was, it was just life. Like we, we yeah. never had like a really easy life in Eastern Europe. You know, I come from a country where they would take your teeth out without giving you any anesthesia. Mm. Right. So I just thought like, okay, it's life, right? We deal with it. You know, I didn't think like it's good or bad. It was just, you know, just like, okay. So, but at this stage, it sounds like you've, you've now been able to look back and recognize that if there was some gifts in there, one is a level of resilience that maybe is second nature to you, but not in other people. Yeah. And, and very thick skin. Like when your grandma, you know, like cusses you out about everything, you start to kind of grow that. When you go to a country that's, it was actually very racist for Polish people very racist you know like the 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 number one joke around was that every polish person is an idiot you know dumb polish people like oh it's just a joke right so like you know you kind of listen to that just like okay you know let them talk Mm. um and you know this kind of expanded when i got into sales outside sales in new york and i was hitting doors you know door to door this was in my 20s you know when you get a couple thousand doors hitting your face as a sales guy in New York, like by that, after that, like nothing really phases you anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it was a continuation from that. Like in the beginning it was like, I didn't care what my family said or what like the kids in school said much, but later on I just didn't care at all. Like I'm like, you yeah, know, okay. like it, it doesn't, doesn't move me yet, but, but it did, you know, that was that thickness that kind of grew in from in the beginning. Like uh, I have very thick skin, which I think gives me a bit of an advantage. Yeah. And tell us a bit about, so you, you touched on school earlier. So th- those three years where you felt like you were, you couldn't really go outside. You couldn't, you couldn't make friends or play outside, outside of school. What, what was school like? What was it like integrating? And in particular, that feeling of hustle that you had when you were in Poland, did you take that with you? Yeah. So school was fine. Like they put me in a class with other um, people from other countries. Right. So we were in a kind of like a, international type of class Mm -hmm. and I I guess I cut on pretty quickly because they um, started moving me into the regular classes pretty quick you know first it'll be like one hour then two hours three hours and at the end of my sixth grade or I think sixth or yeah sixth grade already I was in um, the regular class with everyone else and you know no problems there if we had problems I would you know solve them in the bathroom when no one's looking you know with whoever had the problem with me. Um, But the one thing I noticed, which was interesting, when I switched schools between sixth and seventh grade, like because I was not American in their eyes, you know, it's a Polish kid, international, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I was put in a dumb class with like the problem kids in middle school, right? And again, it was great 
and bad at the same time. Bad because I got to goof off a lot. And it took about four months for the teacher to figure out like he shouldn't be in here. But good thing was I became really good friends with all the bad kids in school, <laughs> which then meant complete safety in the hallways anywhere. Because if anyone messed with me and, you know, like these kids, which like I'm seeing kids, but like one of them was three or three or four years older and actually just came from juvie, like, which is like a prison for mm. <laughs> kids and just mm. showed up at school. So and he had my back throughout the whole, the next two, three years, which I mean, couldn't ask for more, you know, as a kid. Yeah, I understand. It, 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 it sounds to me, certainly during that period, and probably probably now too, to a certain extent, you've never been afraid of a fight. Oh, no. No. Like, I, I don't look for them. You know, I don't no. look for fights because I, I like my um, life to be easy. But I definitely never stayed away from it. But the one lesson I learned quickly was make sure no one sees you when you're doing it. Because then it's just your word against theirs, right? Um, but the one thing I did uh, definitely uh, learn back then is that I don't like bullies and I don't like cheap shots. So if I seen anyone in school doing that, I would often find a way to, you know, take care of it, even if it wasn't towards me, right? If it was just towards someone I knew, like so I would is, be. Like, is that so that's what you're talking about there is injustice of some description yeah yeah but but that's something i don't like to this day yeah okay and, and so that that just thinking for, for for listeners out there now we still haven't in any way shape or form really answered the question uh what do you how do you spend your time um <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm just thinking you know and to a certain extent i'm 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 a little bit uh uncertain as well so so how would other people describe you and, and, what, what, uh, and what you've done over the years, the, the journey so far? Music you've mentioned, um, you might want to explain a bit about that and, and some of the other entrepreneurial activities because I think it, so, it's important context. It's, it's, it's changed a lot. You know, when I was younger, um, always ambitious, right? Like I've had teachers which – you know, I've never really, I was never that close with them. Always say, you know, I wish I could invest in you as a stock. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it was a very ambitious person. Like, you know, I, 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 I had that from the beginning. Like when I was 16, uh, I sold weed and stuff around school, you know, made some money. And I invested in a record store with older kids because I couldn't open one at 16, you know, so I had a... When, when kids were still going to their, doing their tests, I was already, you know, running a part of a record store. I was DJing at clubs, at raves, you know, with all these older people. Um, and I had a pretty good, you know, social life at that time. Like I was always out, always doing things. Um, after that, it got a little weird. Uh, it, it was the, the hustle, the hustle, right? Like I, I tried it all. I got in the music industry first. I got into um, a regular record company um, in in New York. They shut down um, during like the whole Napster fiasco. So I opened up my own um, in the Polish neighborhood in, in New York and Greenpoint, put out albums, did concerts, all that stuff. 
Um, at the same time, I thought I need to learn how to sell better. And this was just for the next step, which was obvious to me, my business. So I started working for a lot of companies um, is in the sales capacity, doing retail, side outside. Um, and it was a lot of trying things, trying things, failing, trying things. Um, and later on, I sort of got into the marketing part of business. And that's what I've been doing since in, in different you know, companies, capacities, but I've been a marketer since like sales and marketing is really where I shine. Okay. And why, why is that? So I've always thought that if you can sell, you're always in business. Right. And I thought if I can learn that one skill, well, which is sales, I'll always be fine, which has been true up to this point. But marketing is where you scale the sales part, right? So I, I quickly figured out um, by doing those sales jobs, yeah, it's, it's fine to go door to door, but you can only hit so many doors a day. Yeah. So if you can figure out what's working, the only way to really make this scale and, you know, get your time back is to learn marketing. And, and I've, just stuck with those. And then, you know, you learn more stuff like copywriting and speaking better and network. Like there's different things you learn to kind of, you know, get your skill set up. Um, but I've just stuck in the sales and marketing lane because I, I know I'll always be fine with it. And do you care what it is that you're selling or marketing? I do now. I didn't used to. I could care yeah. less before. Like, yeah. you know, I, I was actually, you know, um, asked to be on this podcast, right? Which is called Social Impactors. And it's this trend that's been happening a lot lately with, this, you know, virtue signaling and, you know, tell everyone, you know, this big mission and impact. And I'm like, I didn't have a mission. I could have cared less when I started my business. Like, it was more out of necessity. Like, I couldn't do anything else. I wasn't going to work like my parents, you know, doing three jobs and then having minimum wage. After being in the sales companies, I realized I'm just a number. And anytime there's recurring revenue, I get paid once and they get, you know, the recurring part, which that doesn't make sense to me. And I'm also not interested in being broke because that was the whole beginning of my life. So, you know, when I started a business, it was out of dough. It was like, I don't want to be broke. And I can't see myself doing anything else. It wasn't to create an impact. Right? It's, inter it's interesting because it sounds like your direction was a reaction to your upbringing. It was. You're, you're, it was. Yeah. You're, you're reacting against, you say, I don't want that. So I'm going to move in this direction because I don't want that. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and that's why, you know, I, I have a very hard time if someone, you know, tells me about missions and things like that. I'm like, well, you do that. Um, but it wasn't my reason for having a business. And now I have sort of a mission. Like I want to make sure my parents don't have to worry about money, uh, you know, because to me it's fine, but there's nothing better than being able to set up your parents with whatever they want, you know, and later on your kids. But I mean, there's nothing better than that. But other than those although, things. Although, like, although your grandparents didn't necessarily feel the same way. They did not. But I feel like for me, yeah. I, I, I don't get a better feeling than if I can just tell my parents, like you want a car, go buy one. Yeah. And how, you know, how do they feel? How do they feel about that? They're still confused how I'm getting the money, right? You know, they don't understand yeah. the marketing part and just anything of what I'm doing. 
and they a lot of think, yeah they probably think you're still selling weed they think absolutely well they, they think i moved up to like bigger i'm pushing bigger weight now <laughs> but, they don't, but they don't really want to ask because you seem to have a good answer <laughs> yeah there it's it's the same thing all the friends from high school um if i go back to like chicago they think like you know he's traveling all the time he's got a lot of free time he's got to be still selling drugs like there's just no <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no way you can be enjoying life that much with <laughs> and doing something legal Something yeah. that's um, that's consistent in, I think, all of the guests that we've spoken to on the podcast is this idea that um, individuals that will push the system or they'll recognise that the system <clears throat> expects a certain thing of them, and 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 try and uh, find ways to live outside of that system or, or challenge the system as much as possible. And it sounds like there's a theme that re- that theme relates to you, um, and when you talk about the hustle and how normal that was as a kid, and it sounds like that hustle um, just continues in you, but just changes shape in terms of the way you recognize what it is. And then even what you were saying of, of, of what sales and marketing means to you, of I'm, I'm always going to be okay. Do you, how do you think about the, the kind of the rules, the rules of the game that most people live by and the way that you live by those rules? I never follow the narrative that's given by, you know, anyone, the country, the government, anything. I've never just believed it. Like even, you know, in in school, I remember this. This was like the beginnings of, you know, like the the different things I've done. You know, and like the counselor asked me like, you know, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, not you. (laughs) That's for sure. And he's like, well, then how will you graduate school? You know, because I, like I said, I was doing... You know, uh, I was selling weed, running a record store and playing, you know, at clubs, bars and whatever in the evenings. And I was like, let me let me worry about that. And this was actually a funny story because um, I got to high school. I showed up for the first two lessons, I think, on the first day. And I realized this sucks. And I didn't go back for a while, probably like a year. They put me in this class, which was, again, supposed to be for problem kids. But it was fine because I just had to show up from 9 in the morning to 11. And I still did my stuff. I made my money. Right? And then I, I realized I became friends with one of the teachers. She's like, you know, she's seen that I'm bored more than anything. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think learning for tests is worthwhile. So we became friends in like this weird level. And they came up with this program. It was called Accel- Accelerated uh, independent study and they said you can finish your school years as fast as you possibly can it's, it's up to you right this was in my i think uh, 11th or 12th grade and it was done by a different school it was like a test program so i went i applied um and, you know it was a big waiting list stuff like that but what i realized quickly by you know talking to like some teachers and i was always you know networking pretty well back then that this teacher that really liked me she was neighbors and best friends with the lady running the program so i got in i cut the line she wrote me a letter saying let him in and by the way come to our you know barbecue next monday and i'm in when i got to the class they said okay you can do everything independently other than gym so i took four gym classes at one time (laughs) <laughs> like to make up for all the years, which took three months. 
And I found out that the way to pass all these classes was use a piece of software. Someone that was okay with computers knew that the software can be hacked. And that's exactly what I did. I hacked the software and I passed the whole four years of classes in two months. So school was done and they also paid for six months of my college. How but do I, you feel about that looking back now? I thought that was great. You know, I, I took the same thing in college when they said, you got to do calculus. I wasn't interested in, and I found there's guys in India who you can pay to actually do your classes for you as long as you take it online. And again, I've done it. Like I found that schools overall, I mean, maybe unless you're like a lawyer or a doctor, are just a waste of time, complete waste of time. Like when I started my business, thankfully I didn't actually go to the school so much, um, but I had to unlearn all the nonsense that the business teachers taught me because it just didn't fit with real life at all. And it kind of, that, that had me questioning everything after that, you know, because that's what everyone said from the beginning. You go to school, you get a good job, blah, blah, blah. But I've been through these schools. I've been through the jobs. And I realized this is all nonsense. No one's got it figured out. And it's more of just taking advantage of me in some way. And yeah, I, that's curious. I was, I was just thinking about my own experience of school and Ray, maybe it'd be interesting for you to, to chip in as well. That um, I definitely can relate to some of those things, but I feel as though I learned a lot of stuff in school that, that, that did set me on a path and, and, and was useful. Um, whether or not it's directly relatable to the kind of jobs that you're likely to be doing, I think the disconnect is, is getting wider every day. Um, it certainly uh, felt wide for me, and that was a few years back now. I, I think what it does do well is um, you definitely, you know, have your social skills tested in school, right? Um, you do learn the politics of sort of how to, you know, get things done in school. Uh, networking, definitely. I think the social part is really what, where they shine. Mm. It's like if someone goes to Harvard, like no one goes to Harvard to actually learn much because you can do those online for free. It's all about the connections. And I think that was a big part of the school. Like, you know, I was in every circle, like, you know, each high school, for example, has, you know, their own cliques. Mm. I was able to get into every one of them in and out as I pleased. Um, I think it taught me that. I think that was a really, really good thing. Um, plus the networking, right? Like I'd always find a way to take advantage of the school without actually doing what they want me to. So it, it like, sounds like it <clears throat> sounds like you, you've always been, <clears throat> and I think we know where you, you got it from. You know, you, your your dad doing these various trips, but you you're always looking for an angle. Yeah, you're looking you're looking to do something different to what most people are doing you're looking for that angle you're not looking to jump on a track and say that's the track for me that looks like something interesting rewarding whatever it is you're looking how can i do this in a different way um that other people haven't spotted yeah i i, I definitely always look for my own path or have my own path but then to 
get there, I, I try to look for different angles, right? Like there's this concept called the third door. And the best way to describe it is, you know, when you think about a club, um, some people, they wait in line, right? And they hope that they're pretty enough or cool enough to someone to let them in. The second group is the VIP group, you know, and, I, and then they have connections or money or an older owner, they get in that. The third one and the one I usually took was finding that little window in the attic. You got to put your ladder up. You got to sneak through. You got to break the window, change, get into the club somehow. Boom. You're still in your own way. But, but you're not in a group, are you? Those first two nope, doors. Not those two. Not those two. They're for groups. Your, yours is that. It's probably you're the only one that's going to use that. And you probably want to keep it that way because that means next time that, that angle, yeah. that that door will still be there and nobody else will know about it. Yeah, but it was always the same thing. I would look at the first group and be like, okay, well, let them stay in line. Because, you know, that's what gatekeepers were always for. You know, everywhere I was in, like, oh, someone tells you if you're good enough to start something. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not letting anyone tell me, you know, if I'm talented enough. Like, I'm just going to do it. And I never had the connections. So it was always finding that third door. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and, and how old are you now? 39. Okay, and 20 years' time. Are you going to be in the VIP queue? Or, well, it won't be a queue. You'll we'll breeze straight in. But um, or, or do you think you'll still be looking for that third door? You'll still be you know, looking for that open window down that side alley? Well, it becomes a little more interesting now because in a lot of um, moments, I am in the VIP lounge already. Yeah, yeah. And I always feel like, okay, this is cool, but I, I have some my eye on the next thing which seems not possible. And I'm already thinking of the third door. Yeah. Okay. You know, and I, and I don't think I'll be able to ever unlock everything, you know? So even in 20 years, I might be in a really good spot in a room where a lot of people would kill to be in that room, but there's going to be something where I'm like, okay, how do I get in to that room? Let, let's just, let's just talk about three words. So the, the third door hustle and adventure. Do those, do those things, what are the relationships between those things for you? Well, the hustle was sort of what made me, you know, like I don't look at the hustle as a positive thing anymore. You know, it was, it was really when you start out, for a lot of us, it's out of necessity, right? Like for my dad, it was out of necessity for me since I had no one really to guide me, I hustled. But what I really quickly found out is, I don't know if you guys heard about the bus analogy, but anytime I think of a serial entrepreneur or serial hustler, I think of someone that got on the bus, stayed on for maybe two or three stops. They've seen a different bus with people that looked happier and richer and stuff. And they switched to the next bus, started on the first stop, got to the second, third one. Again, things got too hard. They seen a better bus and they keep switching, switching, switching. I never actually sticking with anything. And that's what, you know, I see with a lot of hustlers and I I seen this in myself when I was younger, like, you know, I would have told you, Oh yeah, I had 10 years experience. I was like, no, I didn't. I had five times two year experience because I always kept Mm -hmm. switching things, you know, music industry, sales, blah, blah, just whatever, you know, movie, uh, and now, like, the concept is stay on the bus. 
just stay on the bus. Like, it, you know, as long as you're in the right industry, in the right trend, which means it's going up, it's not, you know, going down, just stay on the bus. You know, like you, you will get so much better that you'll leave your competition behind. And I'm seeing that. Because, because you, you're, you're getting some, it's narrow and deep. You're, you're, That's it. You're, yeah. rather, than, rather than broad. Yeah, um, but, and, and things but, become so much easier. That's what I found too. Like I used to always hustle. Now I'm like, just stick with the one thing. I mean, you know, but, first you got to kind of figure out what that is. Like in the beginning, I understand the hustle. Like, you, you know, but, but later on, if you stick with something for much longer, you don't realize just how much easier and better things are. Yeah, but you, 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 you need to switch bus a few times to know which direction you, you, want, you, you want to go in because otherwise if you get on the first bus, you know, it, it might take you somewhere you just really do not want to be. So it's about understand that switching process is about understanding, you know, what's the bus I want to be on. Yeah, but the the thing is, you know, when I think about my 20s, you know, um, and actually most people in their 20s, like, you know, if, if someone says you're a hustler or you're switching buses in your 20s, I'm like, go for it. In your 30s, it starts becoming a little less, you know, like uh, entertaining, like you're, you're still doing this. In your <laughs> 40s, it's like, yeah, you know, if someone's like 45, I'm a hustler, serial entrepreneur, I'm like, yeah, I guess things didn't work out, huh? <clears throat> Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just different phases of life. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like the adventure too, that's more of like a twenties thing. And when you're, and I guess in my twenties, I was definitely maybe an adventurer. Now I'm very reluctant. You know, I'm like, eh, do I really want that? Like if someone says, let's move to a different country. I'm like, oh, okay, I've been to so many diminishing returns. That means I need to find a new gym a new grocery store. Like I'm very reluctant now. I'm I'm going to, have a guess at one component of why you don't want to do that. And I am, I, it sounds like there's a bit of community in there. You don't want to sw- swap gym, you know, and I think we were talking earlier about, you know, the gym isn't just there to, you know, lift weights and it, 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 there's a social aspect, you know, and it's nice to be able to go into the gym and say hi to people and know people and understand what they're up to. Is that, well, it's it's a extent? part of it. It's a part of it, right? Like, you know, routines, um, like Jocko Willink, he, he said in, I think, extreme ownership, routines free you. Yeah. You know, because you don't have to think, you yeah. know, and, and, and a lot of this adventuring, because I've done it so much, it means you have to reestablish all your routines a lot because yeah. this doesn't work in this place or that doesn't work or you can't, you know, I find... I, I like my routines now. You know, I can I can switch some of the community, but I really don't want to start looking for everything fresh again because I'm you know I'm, I'm on this path where I don't want to switch seats on the bus much anymore. Okay, so so what you're doing now is you're you're very conscious of the need to find this balance between the known and the unknown is the language we we, we would use or, or or routines and different or routines and adventure. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm okay switching if I find that this new path is where I'm going on. But if I don't, I, I don't want to do it just for the sake of being an adventurer, right? So one of the biggest things I've had to learn is how to deal with my boredom. 
you know, this antsy feeling like, oh, let's jump into that. And it's like, now I say no to myself a lot. You know, okay, and, yeah. and, and anytime I look at a new adventure, like I, I have a lot of constraints that I put on things, you know, like, you know, it, it can't change my routine too much. You know, I'm not going to start trading time for money too much. You know, I, I won't do many things, which I just don't want. There's a lot of constraints on my business, my life that I just don't want to. And what what do you say to yourself when 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 um, when Tom bored Tom uh, uh, appears? What is what's the other side of you saying to board the, the Tom that's bored to try and keep you in the routines that you I imagine know are good for you? Well, I I pretty much just say, look, if you don't have a really good reason for doing something just sleep on it yeah okay and and if you wake up tomorrow and it's still a good idea then, then you that might be a problem off. yeah that might be a problem like if, if it's a seed that's growing then eventually i'm going to start writing things up on my whiteboard and start looking okay like does this make sense long term right like play long-term games with long-term people and and if it does then yeah we might have a switch you know, okay. but I but I will think it through much more than before. Yeah, and the good ideas, the good, they tend to hang around, right? They're not, they don't, they, you know, they're they're going to be with you. They 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 may not be in your conscious all the time, but they're certainly, you know, in your subconscious. And and, and the they good do, ideas they grow. just don't. They yeah, grow. They grow. They grow. Yeah. They grow. And you can't stop them. And, and that's like anything. Like if I know I can't get rid of this, it's like, well, I gotta get it done. Yeah, it's but, it's causing me too much time thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> and so I need to I need to scratch it. Need to get it out of my system. Yeah, that that does yeah. happen. Okay, but I also realize, you know, and this, you know, like just like going to the gym, like I, I might have this crazy idea, like I want to deadlift a certain weight, and then my back <laughs> goes out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then I see like, well, it's gonna take you know three months to recover, or two months. So I, I always think about that too, like you know this new undertaking that I'm doing, do I actually have time and money for it? Because, you know, ideas are great, you know, but, you know, when you start actually doing it, everything's going to take three times longer and be five times more expensive. Yeah. And you know, I, a lot of that came from experience now. Like I actually can think things through, but if it still passes all those, then, then it's off to another adventure. But like I said, reluctant. Like I, I did everything I could to stop myself. And if I still can't, then... Let's go. Can we so, can we just dig into some of those adventures? So, and in particular, it would be interesting to do it through the lens of what you felt you were searching for at the time, and what you found. So, if we if we what what would you say is the first significant adventure? Well, the main thing came out of this dream that I grew up with: make money in the West and go back to live in Poland. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. like this main main idea, right? But I had some other countries which I thought were more interesting, you know, because after not being in Poland for 25 years, not having great memories um, of some of the things done back then, you know, like like I said, dentists without, you know, you know which, which is all fixed now, like it's a really nice country. But back then, like my memories were a little different. Hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I finally got my business to sort of a point where I'm making decent money. I can do it remotely. And let's see how this dream works out. Like, is it really so great? 
so I moved to Asia, I moved to Poland, and, I, and I, I've actually done more than what the people dreamed because it was more about like, let's make money and go back. I was like, well, I'm, I can stay in Poland as long as I want and still make the Western money. But then I quickly realized that these were not my dreams. Like it was a big dream, but you know, I'm, I'm following other people's dreams. Mm. And that's a lot of how the adventuring happened, you know, in business to like, I would follow someone's idea. And then I realized like, this is not my idea. Like I followed someone else's thing. Was that also where the going to lots of different countries came from as well? It did. It did. Yeah. I tried to figure things out and it was mostly like, you know, I, I met some people who did a lot of that. And, you know, part of them would say like, Oh, Chiang Mai is the best place in the world. Oh, Ho Chi Minh city is the best place. No Lisbon, no Berlin. And they would live in these different areas. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to go check out all of them. You know, and I stayed like two, three months in each one and like, okay, well this place sucks. This place is good, but not for me. This is fine, but the visa situation is horrible. And, you know, I quickly figured out like, you know, these were not my dreams. Like I didn't even think of what I really wanted out of my Mm. life. It's just like, I'm following like what people say are great. It's like, you know, someone says, read this book. And I'm like, I used to just grab the book. Now it's like, well, who are you? Why are you reading this book? Why should I read this book? Like, you know, there's a lot more questions I have. Well, I, I think that's true for all of us. You know, we, we, we have these stories that we tell ourselves and sometimes they're ours, but quite often they're other people's stories and we think they're going to be appropriate to us. And at, at the very least, what you've done is you've gone and explored them and understood they're not for you, whereas a lot of people might just have them in their head and feel dissatisfied that they haven't lived in lots of countries they haven't gone back to poland or wherever it may be um but i think that's part of the journey right that you got to work out which are your stories and which are somebody else's it is and that's where all the adventuring came in i think you know because i'm i never wanted to get old and have regrets about anything you know whether it's the music or anything i was just like i want to get it done and if it doesn't work out, fine, but I'm not going to be old and saying like, oh, I wish I would have done it. I'm not going to be that guy that his last best thing was winning a football match in high school. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not that type of person. Like I don't care about the stuff I've done in my past. I'm always thinking like, what, what's the next thing I can, you know, accomplish? Do, do, you, do, you ever, do you ever sort of sit down and, and pat yourself on the back for having <clears> – <throat> achieved you know quite a bit or 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 is it always about looking forward it's always looking forward i actually wish i could just pat myself on the back and you know i tried and it calms me down for maybe a week like yeah you've done a lot you've done a good job but but the next thing it's like yes so what what's next like you're always as good as your next song or your last song that's it no one remembers anything else you know, like I always felt that way. Like, like you know, if something I've done ten years ago. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. Like I done it, but like people care about what you do now. I care about what I do now. Like, isn't it? It just. I'm just going to pick up on something that you're saying because it sounds like you're getting energy from the way it makes other people feel rather than the way it makes you feel. So well, if it's I think, kind if you, of both. It's kind of both, right? 
Yeah. If you, I'm just, I'm curious about. So, if we go back to the music side of things, so you you spoke early in the conversation about um, wanting to do something with music, wanting to get into music, and you succeeded in that, right? So, if you tell us a bit about how that came about, what happened, and it'd be really interesting to then dig into when you think about it now, and that 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 success, how that makes you feel. So. When I was actually recording and and creating the music, mm-hmm. I think that was some of the f- most fun times, and then performing in front of the audience. Um, and and here's what would happen when I nailed like a track. When I nailed it, like I was like, "This is the best thing ever." I would listen to it, be on top of the world. Didn't really care what the reaction of the people were. But thankfully, it was kind of positive. So then, you know, made the concerts better. But I would get bored with it immediately. Like, I'll be like, I did that. Now, now you know, it's done. And I didn't really want to listen back to it much anymore. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the next one? And the same process. Like, I would be so into it. But the moment it's done, I felt like, well, it's, it's you know, it's it. Like, there was, I was like feeling empty again. Complete emptiness. Like, I got this great thing out of me. Yeah, it's okay. Some people love it. Some hate it. That's, you know, I don't really care about it. Um, you know, like the pats on the back I would get from other people, like they didn't really do anything for me. Like, oh, you're doing great stuff. I'm like, mm, I've done great stuff. Am I doing great stuff now? I don't know. We'll see what the next recording. What Can you remember what you were searching for at the time? I just wanted to make the best music I can. I don't think I was really searching for much. Like when I really get into like a certain skill, like that's the only thing, like how can I be better than myself yesterday? And then and, like, I will go nuts trying to get better. And your measure of, of how good it was, is that just how it made you feel? Pretty much. Yeah. Like if I felt like it's not better than the thing I made before, like I'm just not happy. Got to keep building or searching for it. But it's always been more of me competing against myself than others. In in that environment, when you when you started to really get some success in the in the in the music industry, what um, I know I know some people in that space, and and it feels like there's a there's a real bug, there's a trap in um, in feeling like there's fans and feeling like people love what you do, and I'm. I'm interested to explore that. To, how how did that affect you? Because it sounds like it didn't. It sounds like you 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 were still just staying true to uh, doing the stuff that made you feel excited, and 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 clearly you moved away from that industry as well. Yeah. So I released two albums. Um, I remember we had a um, TV crew from Poland come to do a documentary on us and and like the the scene in New York, you know, which was. I guess big, like most of Poland seen it. Like it was one of the most popular things back then. Um, I felt completely nothing, like very distanced from it. Um, I was working on my next album. I was about halfway done with it. And it probably would have been the best thing I've done. But a couple of things happened. Um, I, I received... Uh, an offer from a big label in Poland to come and, you know, record and be a part of this 
music industry, this whole thing that I, I guess I kind of was attacking from the side, from my third door, you know. <laughs> um, I looked at it. I was like, you know, if I was like 18 or 17 when they gave it to me, I would have been like, I'm all in. I calculated, you know, how much effort it would be to make not that much money. Um, my life would be spent on on tours, you know, doing concerts every weekend and then recording one album a year just to continue it. And I said, you know what? I'm good. It's on to my business thing, which was my next step. Like, I don't know, it was just one night I woke up and I was like, I, I, I thought about the contract. I thought about what my life would be like. I'm like, I'm good. I created two things. I've done all the concerts. I had the groupies. I've done, you know, all the things I wanted to already. The next step is just going to be more of the same. And yeah, I told them, forget it. Never completed the album and moved on. And the documentary, when did that come about? When I had some success with my <clears throat> first online business. Okay. And then, um, yeah, tell us, tell us the story there. How did, that, how did that come to be real? So there were a couple things between the music industry and the online. Right? Like um, when I finished my music thing, I was like, you know what? I want to double down on getting sales experience. So I had this thing where I played different companies and I would get hired as a sales guy. They would train me, have me hit the streets. I would try as hard as I can to hit my goals because as a sales guy, you have goals in the company. Like, you know, you gotta make 30 sales or 40 sales per month, whatever. As soon as I hit my goals or got close to it, I quit and moved on to the next company. So I've had about nine companies give me training and figure out how to make this work. You know, I, I got really good at sales. I knew how it's working, why it's working. I, you know, I was good at it. I got really tired of working for someone else at that point, And I was very impulsive again. And I went and bought a coffee shop. I don't drink coffee, horrible idea, but I just felt like I'm going to go into my business thing. And I didn't think it through. Sold the coffee shop, sat back for a bit. And I found out online you know, maybe not the best way, just looking at a random forum about the SEO business. I didn't know what it was, so I read up, read on about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to sell some SEO services to a couple of companies around in my area. I went, went to my mechanic, went to a restaurant, a couple of them. They all bought from me. And I was like, I got money now. I'm going to learn how to do this. And that was the start of my big SEO business. And actually went pretty well. Like I kept on selling. SEO back then was quite easy. You know, like anyone could do it. There was no real barrier to entry. So I've created a company which was making money. Uh, it was completely automated. And I got so bored again where I felt like I'm going to do something creative and I filmed a documentary. <laughs> where, did, where did the idea come from? Or what was, what was motivating you? Um, so I, during that time, I started coming to different conferences in Europe and Asia. And I met a lot of people like myself with businesses online at that moment, but they were mostly running them from different countries. <clears throat> so I thought, you know what, I'm going to create a documentary on how to grow a business from a different country and use these real examples of people actually who've done it and show the realities of it. And it was mostly because I wanted to learn. 
So the documentary came out. Yeah, we sold some. They're still selling copies a little bit, but I never really cared about the documentary selling. It was just one of these like, let's get it out of my system and move on. It sounds as though you've always got an eye out for ways to learn. Yeah, whether it's a documentary or whether it's getting you know half a dozen or more sales jobs, you're you're very into learning. I am into learning, um, and it was one of the angles, right? Like, how else will you get all these people in your room? Like, I had like Mark Manson. He's got best-selling books now. Derek Sivers, all these guys come into my hotel room to talk to me for like an hour. How how else yeah. do you get that done? Right. Yeah. And they became friends, you know, like I'm friends with a lot of them since then. And it was the same thing with a podcast. You know, I was I was sitting uh with this co-founder of a of this membership site. And he's like, Tom, you know, you kind of always look for these angles you got a lot of opinions just start a podcast i was like yeah this is the dumbest idea ever who would want to do a podcast and next day i got a podcast going and then again i thought about the different angles i was like well how do i use this podcast and you know i used every angle possible like i've been able to create partnerships by bringing people who would never talk to me otherwise Um, if i wanted to build something or create something i would ask who is the number one coach in the industry bring them on my podcast in the beginning when i was looking for clients i started thinking who are my perfect clients bring them on the podcast so i always looked for a different angle with whatever i'm doing at the moment um and yeah yeah these these uh these are all just tools right yeah and so seo for those who don't know search engine optimization so what you're trying to do is there is you're trying to get people uh, or your clients uh, up there on the rankings when somebody types in body shop <laughs> at Chiang Mai. Um, yeah. The, what, what, the, what came after SEO? The the problem with my initial hustles, which, you know, they, they definitely gave me a lot of skills, which I still use. Um, but I was, again, following other people's dreams. You know, this SEO play was something someone put on a thread, which was a great idea. Later on, the same way I learned about the Kindle industry with Amazon's books, and we went kind of heavily into that. Um, but what I learned after a couple of these places, like, well, I have no control. So one evening I just said, you know, I'm not ever building another business where I don't have full control. I'm, I'm not building on anyone else's platform. And if it's going to be the only way I get clients, it's not a business. So I kind of shut those things down for the most part um, because of that. We still do some SEO, but it's more uh, technical. Like I still have one department in my company that does it, but it's more of like the stuff we can control. You know, make your uh, website faster, uh, make the content better, make the site. Like it's things we can control. Like we no longer do anything um, that relies on someone else saying like oh you can still do this business or not like amazon they can shut your account and you're done you're out of business right we don't do anything like that so a big part of it was regaining control over everything and that means that means creating and marketing and selling your own product Uh, yeah it's 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 much harder yeah yeah um but yeah that was uh kind of the next growth phase you know like 
And what, what, what was your product? What was your service to start with when you got out of, you know? So in, in the SEO? beginning, it was just marketing. You know, I was able to market companies and I, I don't care which channel, we'll figure it out. Um, but what I found out is it's much harder to sell in a broad industry than it is in a very niche industry. So even in SEO, like I would look at some of um, the people in there and, you know, they still wanted to remain in the industry, which was okay. But I've seen, okay, this guy was selling SEO services. He wasn't making anything. Now he's doing dentist SEO and he's making a lot of money. He niched down, became a big fish in a small pond very quickly. And one of my SEO clients, um, I was doing SEO for a gym in Atlanta. Um, it was a kickboxing gym. And then the manager um, was a Muay Thai champion. He actually fought Muay Thai, which is the Thai kickboxing uh, martial art. And I did a really good job for them. Um, we became friends. He gave me some classes in Muay Thai. And one day he just asked me, like, what if we move my training online? And I said, I don't know. And next day we started working on it. Then we got it up. And he's like, well, we need to sell this now. I was like, yeah, I guess so. He's like, can you sell it? I was like, I've never sold anything like this before. Okay. And again, you know, a lot of learning phases and uh, problems. And eventually we got it selling, you know. And then he's like, oh, well, I got some other people who would like to do similar things. And, you know, I had a few clients already. And then I thought, well, I'm doing okay with my marketing service but I've been marketing online courses for about three years now on the side. I can probably get into this niche and become a big fish in a small pond very quickly. And the second I did that, we've completely got fully booked and been booked ever since. And it, it was sort of a natural you know, thing, but it, you know, it took a while too. Like it wasn't obvious to me. But now it's super obvious, like, yeah, I can easily dominate a smaller niche. And I can go broad if I want to, but do I? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it was one of these things that happened, and that's what we've been focusing on. Like, I've, uh, I've, I've had so much skills already that I, I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. You know, if I applied them to a smaller industry, things would have became much, much easier for us than trying to fight along with, you know, some of the big boys in marketing. And I, I see a lot of people doing that too. You know, like they'll try to go into like a diet niche or health niche, you know, and then they're going after the whole industry. I'm like, you know, now you're competing with some of the biggest in the world. You know, if you can find your own little slice, sometimes things become so much easier. And actually you don't change anything that you're doing. It's just the way people perceive you. <clears throat> Tom, I'm, I'm, what, what I'm thinking is that it sounds like you've got a lot of stuff figured out. Um, mm. It sounds like you've, you've been on a, on a, on a journey, a, a literal and um, metaphorical. And when we started the conversation, we were exploring what it feels like to be in Thailand at the moment. Um, and how do you feel about where you're at at life and, and what you're searching for next, what you're trying to figure out next? 
what what have you learned about yourself and and, and what what's the gift that you feel you can pass on to others so you know like the reasons i'm actually taking time to these podcasts is because when i was in that stage of trying to figure things out i had no one to really look up to you know like the, the best thing i could have done is look at some interviews on tv or grab a couple books and all those people it was not realistic like reading a, a biography of warren buffett is not really going to help me in my life you know what i mean like it's just not like i i always hope there's just like one or two people that listen to it and be like you know this guy came out of really nothing and was able to figure it out on his own and that they think it's possible for them. That's really it. I, I still don't have a lot of things figured out. I, I, I'm doing, you know, very well in business, but that's business is just a part of things. It's not, you know, like my main focus now is to actually separate myself from my business even more to try to like figure out who Tom is without, you know, continually having to like put in hours at work. Um, but the one thing I did figure out is look, you know, like you all have your own path just like I do. Like what I enjoy is probably not going to be the same as you enjoy, but I, you know, I, I like traveling between the U S Thailand and Warsaw. And I'm trying to make my life easier in all of them, right? So I'll have like storage places and offices set up in every one of the cities that I like to go so I can travel and get into my routine immediately. You know, it's that time where I want my parents to start taking it easy, want to help them out. The worrying about money thing is almost gone. Like, I, you know, it's, it's just getting there. But it's like, you know, so I'm... I'm getting kind of in a comfortable spot, but I always know that's a dangerous spot to be in too. Hmm. So why, why, why is it, why is it dangerous? Because complacency, you know, kills creativity. Yeah. Okay. And the more I thought of it, you know, I, I started looking at what does a journey of an online entrepreneur really looks like? Cause most people get stuck along the way, but what does it really look like? And it follows actually the same three steps every single time that I looked. So initially, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip getting the expertise part because that's, you know, like we all do that differently, but I'm, I'm assuming like, you know, someone knows what they're doing first, right? So in the beginning, when you go online, you become a consultant of some way, easiest way to make money. Second thing, you always think about how to separate your work from hours being paid, right? So it's like I'm not trading time for money uh, anymore. Um, so then it's, you know, building productized services or some kind of online courses and for whatever, right? That's the next step. Third one, um, usually make something with an exit in mind, right? So in the beginning, consulting gets you some momentum. Then you build, build an audience. And then you want to build an app or something else that you can sell or a service that's productized, you can sell it. And then most people move on back to the next step. Like they start consulting again, then, you know, the next step and above. And I'm conscious of that now. And, you know, we are in the productized stage 
Um, and now we're really looking into like, okay, what do we build that we can exit from? And then I know once we get that done, I'll start consulting again, get my kind of feet wet again and move to the same path. So I, I know like what the next step is each time. That, that's, that's work. You know, or, or, that's work. Or what yeah, most, yeah. Or what yeah, most but, people would think of as work. So yeah, but but that is what allows me to do everything else. Okay. Right. So having figured that part out, like what's you know what's going to happen next, like gives me a much more room to kind of you know like spend more time building the few like really important relationships. Right. So before, like I would think of like oh I have like you know six seven hundred friends. But now I'm putting a lot more time with five or six, a lot yeah. more time, right? Getting closer with them, getting back in touch with my family more, focusing on my routines, what I like to do, you know, like um, we like eating out. So, you know, we go to all the best restaurants. Like I would fly to a different country to just eat somewhere. Like I, I do things that I enjoy. Um, but it's, you know, it's all coming out of that. Like, since I don't have a nest egg, I don't have rich parents, a big part of my life and anyone else's who's trying to do it from nothing will be to figure out that business area, that journey, you know, that lets them do everything else. Tom, what's, what's next for you? Well, the the big move um, I was going to make is, you know, I, I, I've i got a visa in Thailand, uh, the elite visa. Um, it was a five-year visa, which the reason I got it is because it allows me to go to America for four months um, per year and still have my tax benefits. So I got the visa and the whole plan was I'm going to spend more time in the U.S. with my parents and friends. And then COVID came, <laughs> all right? So we can't mess that up. But the, the big um, push now is to, yeah, spend more time with family, friends, and kind of, you know, just enjoy life a little more and kind of figure out what else is there I like to do other than business. Since, you know, I'm in this situation now, um, like around March, like I kept thinking, you know, some people are going to get really, really ahead or really, really behind at this time. It depends just how their mental state is and, you know, whether they are in their life. And if I look at those two routes, well, obviously I'm going to get really, really ahead. And that's what I've done. <laughs> I, I've obviously, been, obviously. Yeah, I've been, I've been pushing incredibly hard for the last maybe three, four months with all of my work. And yeah, it's, it's definitely already paying you know, dividends. But my whole thinking is, you know, if I can push super hard, then I'm going to have a much easier time later on one. And, you know, when that four months comes, I'm going to enjoy, enjoy them fully, you know, like I'm not going to think about work at all. So it's, it's one of those like, you know, yeah, it's fine. If I have to push my plan back, it's fine, but I'm going to take a really big advantage of it now and make sure that later on, you know, I just sweep all the dividends from that. But that's going to be hard for you, right? Four months, not, not thinking about work because you can't really stop your thoughts. So, I mean, that, yeah. That, um, what I've done before, um, when the business was doing pretty well, um, 
I had some good friends around me and I took some road trips. And the thing about road trips is I'm not really moving. It's, it's more of a vacation, but you have a lot of stuff happening all the time. You're switching locations, you're exploring things, you're watching, you know, movies, museums, all this different stuff, you know, restaurants. And I can kind of make my brain focus on like the enjoyable. What you're doing. Yeah, Yeah, what I'm doing and plan those things out and kind of pull it into, you know, like it is productive. It's good for me, but I can pull it into thinking it's like, it's, you know, it's doing what it's supposed to. Like, okay, we need to figure out what we're going to do. Where's the next destination we're going to do? So it's already, a bit, it's, now, a bit, it's a bit like you know your music or playing sport. It, you you yeah. have to concentrate, don't you? I have to other, focus. Yeah, other stuff can't can't enter because you you, you are preoccupied on hitting that ball back or catching that's that ball or that's yeah, it. Okay, yeah. So and, that's and I think been... that's a real. I think that's a real lesson for all of us actually. <clears> that if you want to, if you want to get away from something, do something. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I've learned. Um, and this was, you know, not the type of people I used to hang around with before, like, um, but I do now, I find that the people running some of the best businesses, they spend most of their time on the golf field. Mm. They're playing golf. And I'm like, okay, this guy's making 20, $30 million. He's telling me that he spends only one hour working and the rest of the time is thinking about what to do next or figure out an angle. But since his brain can't stay still normally, he's focusing on hitting that ball over and over and over again. Because you need to get still and focus on the ball, and that's when all the ideas come. And it's this, and they can spend, I mean, some of my friends, man, I can spend days, months, years on the damn golf course. I'm like, I don't get it. But when I think back to myself, like some of the things I do, unconsciously is like I will take the basketball and start throwing free throws for two, three hours. It will be the same thing. I'm not really even thinking about it anymore. There's a different thing in my head, but that's helping me, you know, get, get my thoughts kind of, you know, like flowing. Um, so yeah, doing something else when you actually want to figure something out in a different thing, like it, it does help like having this weird, like, meditative thing that you do that you're getting good at but don't have to really think about it like you don't think about the actual action of throwing a ball anymore after you've done it a couple hundred times right so it's like with the golf thing it's like they keep doing it but they're not really thinking of it and i found it interesting like the more successful that people are the more they have something like that that they spend a ton of time on and they get obsessed yeah it's a great point and i think on that note we're off to play golf <laughs> <laughs> Tom, where can people find you? Uh, smartbrandmarketing.com uh, is, is the website. That's where everything kind of falls underneath. Um, yeah, I'm really easy to reach. Okay, perfect. And thanks so much for the time. We're going to look forward to that game of golf next time we, we find ourselves in the same country as each other. That would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah? Okay, <laughs> let's, let's try and figure that out. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe. 
We're also really keen to hear your feedback. So please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at Life Done Diff. That's double F. 